Section number nine of the theory and practice of brewing. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Adam Santoni. The theory and practice of brewing by Michael Cumberoon. Section number nine of fermentation in general. Vegetable fermentation is that act by which oils and earth, naturally tenacious by the interposition of salts and heats, are so much attenuated and divided as to be made miscible with, and to be suspended in, an homogeneous, pellucid fluid, which, by a due proportion of the different principles, is preserved from precipitation and evaporation. According to Borhave, a less heat than 40 degrees leaves the mass in an inert state, and the particles fall to the bottom in proportion to their gravity. A greater heat than 80 degrees disperses them too much, and leaves the residuum a rancid, acrimonious, putrid mass. It is certainly very difficult, if not impossible, to discover the true and adequate cause of fermentation. But by tracing its several stages, circumstances, and effects, we may perhaps perceive the agents and means employed by nature to produce this singular change a degree of knowledge which, we hope, is sufficient to answer our practical purposes. The must, when just pressed from the grapes, is a liquid composed of neutral and lixivial salts, oils of different spicitude, water, earth, and elastic air. These, irregularly ranged, if I may be permitted the expression, compose a chaos of wine. Soon after the liquor is settled, a number of air bubbles arise, and at first adhere to the sides of the containing vessel, their magnitude increases as they augment in number, so that at last they cover the whole surface of the must. It has been long suspected, and, if I mistake not, demonstrated, that an acid of which all others are but so many different species, is universally dispersed through, and continually circulating in, the air, and that this is one of nature's principal agents in maturating and resolving of bodies. Musts, like other bodies, being porous, the circulating acids very powerfully introduce themselves therein by the pressure of the atmosphere, in proportion as the pores are more or less expanded by the heat they are exposed to. The particles of acids are supposed by Newton to be endued with a great attractive force, in which their activity consists. By this force they rush towards other bodies, put the fluid in motion, excite heat, and violently separate some particles in such manner as to generate or expel air, and consequently bubbles. From hence it appears that, as soon as the acid particles of the air are admitted into the must, they act on the oils, and excite a motion somewhat like the effervescence generated when acids and oils come in contact, though in a less degree. This motion is the cause of heat, by which the included elastic air, being rarefied, occasions the bubbles to ascend towards the surface. These, by the power of attraction, are drawn to the sides of the vessel. At first they are small and few, but increase both in number and magnitude, as the effect of the air continues, till at last they spread over the whole surface. The first stage of vegetable fermentation shews itself to be a motion excited by the acids floating in the air, acting on the oleous parts of the liquor, which motion gives an opportunity to the divided minute parts of air, dispersed throughout the whole, to collect themselves in masses. From hence they become capable to exert their elasticity, and to free themselves from the must. See are both not on air, page 116. It may perhaps be proper to observe that all musts, which ferment spontaneously, 
contain for this purpose a large portion of elastic air. Bubbles still continue to rise after the must is entirely covered with them, and a body of bladders is formed, called by the brewers, the head of the drink. As the bubbles increase, the head rises in height, but the oils of the must, being as yet of different spicitudes, those which are least tenacious soon emit their air, others, somewhat stronger, being rarefied by the fermenting heat, rise on the surface higher than the rest, while such aerial bubbles as are more dense take their place below them. From hence, and from the constituent parts of the drink not being as yet intimately mixed, the head takes an uneven and irregular shape, and appears like a beautiful piece of rock work. After this, it requires some time, and it is by degrees that the particles dispose themselves in their due order, to be farther attenuated by the act of fermentation, which, when affected, the saline, oily, and spiritous parts become perfectly miscible with water. The head of the liquor then is more level. Heterogeneous bodies, as dirt, straw, corks, etc., assisted by bubbles of air adhering to them, are now buoyed on the surface, and should be skimmed off, lest, when the liquor becomes more light and spiritous, they should subside. About this time, such parts of the must are too coarse to be absorbed in the wine, as they consist chiefly of pinguous oils mixed with earth, though they strongly envelop much elastic air, from their weight sink to the bottom, and form the lees. But the internal motion increasing, the air bubbles grow larger, some not formed of parts so strong as the others, which generally are the first, burst and strengthen the rest, and thereby a heat is retained in the fermenting liquor, which carries the act onto a farther degree. The particles of the must become more pungent and spiritous, because more fine and more active. Some of the most volatile ones fly off, hence that subtle and dangerous vapor, called gas, which extinguishes flame and suffocates animals. The wine, by these repeated acts, being greatly attenuated, is at last unable to support on its surface the weight of such a quantity of froth rendered more dense by the repeated explosions of the air bubbles. Now lest the liquor should be fouled by the falling in of the froth, it is put in vessels having only a small aperture, where it continues to ferment with a slower and less perceptible motion, which gradually diminishing until it reaches the period when it neither attracts or repels air, it admits of its communications with it to be cut off. Not that thereby, in a strict sense, the fermentation can be said to be completely ended. The least heat is sufficient to renew, or rather to continue the act, more especially if by any means the atmosphere can gain any admittance, however small. The alteration caused in the liquor, by the pressure of the external air, from the very first of its fermenting, not only occasions the particles of the must to form themselves in their due order, but also, by the weight and action of that element, grinds and reduces them into smaller parts. From hence they more intimately blend with each other. The wine becomes of an equal and even taste, and if the constituent parts of the must be in a perfect proportion, it will continue to ferment, until, these being disposed in range and right lines, a fine and pellucid fluid is produced. That this operation subsists, even after the liquor becomes fine, is evident, for every fretting is a continuance of fermentation, though often almost imperceptible. Thus, the component parts of the liquor are continually reduced to a less volume, the oils become more attenuated, and less capable of retaining elastic air. As these frettings are often repeated, it is impossible to determine by any rule the exact state in which wine should be in order to be perfect for use. It would seem, however, that the more minutely the parts are reduced, the more their pungency will appear, 
and the easier their passage be in the human frame. Both wines and beers, when new, possess more elastic air than when meliorated by age. To be wholesome, they must be possessed of the whole of the fermentable principles. For these reasons, beers and ales, when substituted for wines in common, and more especially when given to the sick, should always be brewed from entire malt. For the last extracts, possessing but the inferior virtues of the grain, have by so much less the power to become light, spiritous, and transparent. Wines never totally remain inactive. Fermentation in some degree continues, and in time the oils, by being greatly attenuated, volatilize, fly off, and permit a readier admission of the external air into the drink. In proportion as this circumstance takes place, the latent acids of the liquor shew themselves, the wine becomes sour, and in this state is termed vinegar. Its last stage or termination is when the remaining active principles, which the vinegar possessed, being evaporated in the air, a pellicle forms itself on the surface of the liquor, and dusts and seeds, which always float in the atmosphere, depositing themselves thereon, strengthens this film into a crust, on which grows moss and many other small plants. These vegetables, together with the air, exhaust the watery parts, after which no signs of fermentable principles remain, but like the rest of created beings, all their virtues being lost, what is left is a substance resembling common earth. Upon the whole, then it appears that a liquor fit for fermentation must be composed of water, acid smoothed over with oils, or saccharine salts, and a certain portion of elastic air. The heat of the air the liquor is fermented in must be in proportion to the density of its oils, and lastly, that the pores are to be expanded by slow degrees, lest the air, by being admitted too hastily, should cause an effervescence rather than a fermentation, and occasion the whole to become sour. Wines, therefore, fermented in countries where the autumn is hot, require their oils to be more pinguous than where the season is cooler. For the same reason beers are best made when the air is at 40 degrees of heat or below the first fermentable point, because the brewer in this case can put his wort to work at a heat of his own choosing, which will not be increased by that of the air. On the contrary, when by its internal motion the heat becomes greater, it will again be abated and regulated by the cold of the medium. The pores of a wort are expanded in proportion to the heat it is impressed with, on which account common small beer, brewed in summer when the air and acids more easily insinuate themselves into the liquor, ought to be enriched with oils obtained by hotter extracts to sheath these salts, and in winter the contrary method must be pursued. From this history of fermentation we can, with propriety, account for the many accidents and varieties that accompany this act and a comparative review of some of them may not be unnecessary. A cold air closing the pores of the liquor always retards and sometimes stops fermentation. Heat, on the contrary, constantly forwards this act, but if carried too high, immediately prevents it. A must, loaded with oils, will ferment with more difficulty than one which abounds with acids. It likewise is longer before it becomes perfectly fine, but when once so, will be more lasting. If the quantities of oil are increased, they will exceed the power both of the acids naturally contained in the must and of those absorbed from the air in fermenting. The liquor will therefore require a longer time before it becomes pellucid, unless assisted by precipitation, and there may be cases where even precipitation cannot fine it. These considerations naturally lead us to a general division of wines into three classes. First of such as soon grow fine, and soon become acid, being the growth of cold countries. 
Secondly of those, which, by a due proportion of heat, both when the grapes germinate and when they come to maturity, form a perfect must, and not only preserve themselves, but in due time, more especially when assisted by precipitation, become transparent. And thirdly of such, as having taken their first form under the highest degrees of germination, as I termed them, are replete with oils, disappoint the copper, and render the application of menstruums useless, unless in such quantities as to change the very nature of the wine. This remarkable difference in wines appears chiefly to arise from the climate, and it will confirm the observation before made that, as wines are neither naturally nor uniformly perfect, they must be subject to many diseases. All vegetable substances possess fermentable principles, though in a diversity of proportions. For those juices only, whose constituent parts approach to the proportion necessary for the act of fermentation, can be made into wines. I would not, however, from what I have attributed to a difference of heat in different climates, be understood as if I thought that vegetables are more or less acid, more or less sulfurous, or in general more or less fermentable, merely from the heat of the country they grow in. This, though likely one of the principal causes of their being so, is by no means the only one. The form and constitution of the plant is another. In very hot climates, we find acid fruits, such as limes, tamarinds, lemons, and oranges. The proportions of fermentable principles in these fruits are such as to render them incapable of making sound wines, though their juices may, in some degree, be susceptible of fermentation. In countries greatly favored by the sun, some vines and other fruit trees there are, which attract the acids from the air, and possibly from the earth, so greedily that when their juices are fermented, they soon become sour. On the contrary, in cold climates, we see warm, aromatic vegetables grow, as hops, horseradish, chamomile, wormwood, etc., whose principles cannot, without difficulty, and perhaps not perceptibly, be brought to ferment. But these instances must be accounted the extremes on each side, for in cold, as well as in hot countries, fruits are produced susceptible of a perfect natural fermentation. With us, for example, apples, some species of which are endued with such austere and aromatic qualities that their expressed juices ferment spontaneously until they become pellucid and are capable of remaining in a sound state many years. From hence it appears that proper subjects, which will naturally ferment for making wines, may be found in almost every climate. England, says Borhav, on this account, is remarkably happy. Her fruits are capable of producing a great variety of wines, equal in goodness to many imported, where not our taste but too often subservient, not to reason, but to custom and prejudice. A similar want of perfection to that observed in wines may be noticed in our beers and ales, and it chiefly has its origin in the different degrees of heat the malt has been impressed with, both in drying and extracting, where, in the processes of malting and brewing, a sufficient heat has not been maintained, the liquor undoubtedly must become acid. In proportion as the contrary is the case, or that the beer is overcharged with hops, if this is in no great excess, it retains still a greater tendency to fermentation than to putrefaction, acids not being wanting, but only enveloped. In this case, time will get the better of the disease. Like to the wines made from the growth of too hot a sun, these liquors, at a certain period, sicken, smell rancid, and have a disagreeable taste but by long standing, they begin to fret and receiving more acids from the air, recover their former health and improve in taste. But should the quantity of oils exceed this last proportion, in wines formed from corn, the must, instead of fermenting, would putrefy, 
even though by some means, elastic air has been driven into them. In this case, the overproportion of the oil and its tenacity prevents the entrance of the acids. The wart receives no enlivening principle from without, and the air, at first conveyed into it, is enveloped with oils so tenacious as to be incapable of action. Nothing so much accelerates putrefaction as heat, moisture, and a stagnating air, and all substances corrupt, sooner or later, in proportion to the inactivity of the contained air, to the want of a proper vent, and to the closeness of their confinement. Besides these cases, beers and ales, as well as wines, sometimes are vapid and flat, without being sour. This does not so much arise from the imbibing the air of the atmosphere, as from their fermenting, generating and casting off too much air of their own. To prevent this accident, they are best preserved in cool cellars, where their active invigorating principles are kept within due bounds, and not suffered to fly off. These facts ought to convince us of the truth, deduced by Dr. Hales from many experiments, that there is a great plenty of air incorporated in the substance of vegetables, which by the action of fermentation is roused into an elastic state, and is as instrumental to produce this act as it is necessary to the life and being of animals. I should here close this short and imperfect account, but as, in the art of brewing, there is no part so difficult and at the same time so important to be in some measure understood as the cause and effects of fermentation, and as the examination of this act in all the different lights in which it offers itself to our notice can hardly be thought uninteresting, these few detached thoughts I hope will be allowed of. The effect of the act of fermentation on liquors is, so to attenuate the oils, as to cause them to become spiritous and easily inflammable. When a wine is dispossessed of such oils, which is nearly the case in vinegar, far from possessing a heating or inebriating quality, it refreshes and becomes a remedy against intoxication. The term of fermentation ought, perhaps, only to be applied to that operation which occasions the expressed juices of vegetables to become wine, but as several acts have assumed the same name, it may not be improper here to notice the difference between them. Vegetation, one of them, is that operation of nature wherein more air is attracted than repelled. I believe all that has been said above concerning the juice of grapes is a convincing proof thereof. Fermentation is where the communication of the external and internal air of a must is open and in a perfect state, when the power of repelling is equal to that of attracting air. Putrefaction is when, by the power of strong oils or otherwise, the communication between the external and the internal air of the must is cut off, so that the liquor neither attracts the one nor repels the other, but, by an intestine motion, the united particles separate and tend to fly off. Effervescence is when, by the power of attraction, the particles of matter so hastily rush into contact as to generate a heat which expels the enclosed air and this, more or less, in proportion to the motion excited. End of section 9